Am I on? There we go. All right, thanks, Eric, for that prayer. I, it wasn't quite long enough. I told him he could pray for the next 40 minutes if he wanted. But this is my first time preaching, so now I'm as nervous as you guys are. <laughs> I'm going to start out with, uh, well, yeah, as I was prepping for this message, just, you know, there's things that are going through my mind, and, and it's nerve-wracking to get up here and, and do something like this, and, and so it's hard for me to just know how to get all my thoughts in line and try to communicate in a clear way, and so uh, the first time I went through this message, I was like, Oh, that was awful. Uh, Lord, you definitely need to show up because uh, otherwise this, this sermon is not going to go well. So just thank you for your prayer once again, Eric, on uh, having the spirit here. I want to start out with one of my favorite father-son stories. At the constant request of his young son, a busy dad took a day off to go fishing. It was just the two of them. Leaving behind a desk cluttered with unfinished business, the father drove to a secluded lake where they spent the day together, fishing, rowing, talking, and fishing some more. Throughout the day, all the father could think about was the pressing deadlines that he had left behind. Phone calls to return, projects to complete, assignments to finish, meetings to make. Years later, their two diaries were discovered as each recorded what the day had meant to them. In the father's journal was recorded, took my son fishing, another day lost. But in this boy's diary, the entry read, spent the day with dad. It was one of the greatest days of my life. In his song, Letters from Home, John Michael Montgomery sings about a soldier getting letters from home. In the first letter, uh, well, the first letter is from his mom. And at one point she says, your stubborn old daddy ain't said too much. But I'm sure you know he sends his love. And the chorus goes, I hold it up and I show my buddies like we ain't scared and our boots ain't muddy. And they all laugh like there's something funny about the way I talk when mama sends her best, y'all. And the second letter is from his wife. And in the chorus he says, I hold it up and I show my buddies like we ain't scared and our boots ain't muddy. And they all laugh when she calls me honey, but they take it hard because I don't read the good parts. Then he gets a letter from his dad. Listen to what his dad says. Dear son, I know I ain't written, and sitting here tonight alone in the kitchen, it occurs to me. I might not have said it, so I'll say it now. Son, you make me proud. And the chorus says, I hold it up and I show my buddies like we ain't scared and our boots ain't muddy. But no one laughs, because there's nothing funny when a soldier cries. And I just wipe my eyes. Why do you think these sons express so much emotion over what their dad did for them? Why would a soldier, a grown man, be brought to tears when his dad says, I'm proud of you, son? Why would a little boy write that one of the best days he's ever had was a day he got to go spend with his dad doing something he loved, like fishing? So if you haven't read the bulletin or haven't guessed it by now, my, my sermon title is The Value of a Father. And we're going to use Proverbs 17.6 as a uh, springboard for this. 
It says, grandchildren are the crown of the age, and the glory of children is their father's. Now today we're going to focus on the last part of that verse, where it says, the glory of children is their father's. And so thinking back to those uh, two examples I gave, like if I were to ask how many of us in this room, now we're not going to do this today, but if I were to ask you guys to raise your hands, if you knew that your mom loved you by just her telling you that all the time, I'm guessing most of the hands would go up in this room. But then if I were to ask, how many of you know that your dad loves you based on how many times he's told you he loves you? There, I don't know, I might be wrong, but there's a good chance that... um, not as many hands would go up. And me preaching on fatherhood is not because I think I know what all the, you know, have it all figured out. In fact, it's quite the opposite. As soon as I started studying this, I realized, wow, I have failed as a father and I have a lot to learn. So this message is for me. And one could preach an entire series on fatherhood and that would... uh, be well-suited for a well-seasoned father, perhaps a father in his great-grandchildren's stage of life. So I don't have it all figured out, but I am passionate about fathers, and I want to see fathers do well. And my my, my sermon is more from an aspect of me as a son rather than me as a dad, meaning like if I were a single person, I don't know how much different this message would really be, if that makes sense. So it's coming more from the heart of a son. According to the United States Census Bureau in 2020, about 26% of the children in the U.S. were living in a single-parent home. That amounts to about 18.6 million children, newborn to 18, that live in a single-parent home. Out of the 18.6 million children living with a single parent, a little over 82% of those are living with their mother. Nearly, and well, then the rest are living with their father. Nearly 60% of the children that in the U.S. live with their biological parents, both of them, or their adoptive parents. And about 4 to 5% of that 60% is, with, um, is the adoptive parents. So one could preach on the fatherlessness in America, but that's not really my focus today. My focus today is more on the dads that are in the home. And one of the things that studies... And, data can't show is how involved a dad is in, their lo- in the children's lives, or whether he is abusive, or whether he's just neglecting his children. David Blankinghorn writes, the good family man is not perfect, but he is good enough to be irreplaceable. He is a father on the premises. His children need him, and he strives to give them what they need every day. He knows that nothing can substitute for him. Nothing. Either he is a father or his children are fatherless. He would never consider himself not that important. A a biological dad that's in the home but isn't involved in his children's lives is called the invisible dad. According to Robert Lewis, the invisible dad results in ongoing social, emotional, and spiritual deficit. Emotional deficit, which is no heart connection with dad. A social deficit, no companionship with dad and a spiritual deficit, no direction from dad. And when we look in the Bible, we don't actually have a lot of great examples of a good father-son relationship besides God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ. Uh, Rather, what we often find is examples of what not to do as a father. 
And unlike women who have Proverbs 31, we don't have this just list in a chapter somewhere in the Bible of like, hey, this is what a father does and this is what a father looks like. Rather, we have to take all of Scripture and kind of piece it together and see throughout Scripture what a good father is to be as we see the example of God the Father and we see other things that have been taught throughout Scripture. But today we're going to look at a relationship between a father and son. It's in 2 Samuel 13 and goes all the way through chapter 19. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read that whole story. But it's the story of David and Absalom. Now this is an example of not the best father-son relationship. And so Absalom had a full-blooded sister named Tamar. And in chapter 13, it's recorded that their half-brother Amnon raped her. And when King David heard what Amnon did, it says he was very angry. Or other translations say he was furious. And so as the story goes on, we know that Absalom hated Amnon. And two years later, he got his brothers together for a, uh, a party that, not really a party, but he got them together for a supper, and then he had Amnon murdered that night. And then Absalom runs off to Gesher, and he stays there for three years. And after three years, Joab, the commander of David's army, he, he, he kind of deceived David and got him to bring Absalom back to the city. And David, David did that, brought him back to Jerusalem. And then Absalom stayed in Jerusalem for two years, and he was not allowed to see his dad. And Absalom wanted to see his dad. And so he was trying to get Joab's attention and Joab wouldn't come, and so he finally burnt one of his fields, and then Joab finally showed up, and Absalom was like, I want to see my dad. So he goes to his dad, and then it was after that that he started deceiving, or uh, drawing the hearts of the men and the, the people away from David. And in this story, we know that David wasn't just an oblivious bystander. You know, we, he, he knew what was happening, clearly. I just read a verse on that, and he loved his children, and we know he did. I mean, speaking of Amnon, after Absalom had murdered him, it says in chapter 13, and David mourned for his son every day. And two verses later, it says, and King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon. So he had mourned his son Amnon, he loved him, and then he also loved Absalom, and so he was torn between these two. And when Absalom had died in chapter 18, it says, The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So as I read throughout this story, it, it, I can't help but notice the fact that the children are crying out, Dad, do something. Do something about Amnon. Do something about this injustice. Do something about Tamar. The fact that she is now disgraced. I mean, she lived with Absalom for the rest of her life. So he was reminded of this over and over again. Do something about the fact that she has been shamed. Do something about Absalom who is grieving. He is angry. He's hateful and he's revengeful. You can hear it in Absalom's words as he says it in chapter 15. Oh, that I were judge in the land. And he's telling this to people that are coming into the city. 
Oh, that I were judge in the land, that every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. It's like, Dad, where are you? Why don't you do something? You see, David was there, but how much was he involved in his children's lives? I mean, that's a question. I don't have an answer for that. We don't have... We don't have much information besides the fact that he was angry at what Amnon did. Other than that, we don't really have much detail. And this happens to be the man, David happens to be the man that his own dad uh, didn't think it was necessary for him to come to a supper where the prophet Samuel was coming to anoint one of his sons for king. So perhaps there wasn't a very good father-son relationship there as well. So just because a dad is there doesn't mean he's involved. So what, does a, what value does a connected father bring to his children? What can he do to be connected with his children? Now, as I quoted earlier, the invisible dad is, uh, results in an ongoing social, emotional, and spiritual deficit. And this next section is uh, on practical pointers is really has come from just years of listening to sermons and observing successful dads and having older men pour into my life as well as going through a series called The Quest for Authentic Manhood by Robert Lewis. In fact, there's probably that series probably did more for me than anything else as far as who I am as a man today and the father that I want to be. And so I do quote him quite a bit and in his series He says this, that there are five things that every son, and a lot of these things apply to daughters as well, by the way, but five things that every son wants and needs from his father. The first one is time together, building or doing things that build memories. Paul Amato writes, there needs to be a a minimum amount of time spent together, but the quality of the time is more important than the quantity of time. For example, just watching TV together isn't going to help much. David Jeremiah says, Having fun is part of dad's responsibility. Making sure that family life is not all just serious business. And that's true. So time together. Secondly, life skills. Robert Lewis talks about his own life and he was frustrated as a, as a young man. He didn't know how to do things because his dad never taught him. Now, in the Mennonite, Mennonite culture that a lot of us have grown up in, we, we learned a lot of things from our dad. I mean, I learned a lot of things from my dad. I take that for granted. I, there's a lot of things I know how to do because my dad taught me those things. But teaching them life skills. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I've always viewed that scripture in light of, um, of training them up in godliness and, and that obviously applies. Um, but it just says, train up a child in the way he should go. And that could mean to train him up in other ways too, of like things that are life skills for them. Now, maybe you might disagree with me on that, but it certainly is training, up, training them up in godliness. So time together, life skills. Thirdly, direction with solid why answers. Ephesians 6, 4 Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The NLT translation says it this way. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, 
Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Colossians 3.21, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So how we father them, how we correct them, how we discipline them definitely affects our children. Being both harsh and overbearing or, or spoiling our children can provoke our children in either ways. And I've often heard it said, rules without re- relationship, you know, those things end in frustration. You need to have those relationships. And this is a particular area. This, those verses in, a partic- in particular would be great to hear from a well-seasoned father. We can learn a lot, a lot from those men. Robert Lewis also goes on to say that it's important for sons to have a manhood vision, which is understanding what a real man looks like. So he lays out what he calls biblical manhood, which is based off the life that Jesus lived out and is described as this. First, first one is, a real man rejects passivity, social and spiritual passivity. Secondly, a real man, a real man accepts responsibility, which is a will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. Thirdly, a real man leads courageously, which requires mastering our feelings because we don't always feel like it. Fourthly, a real man expects the greater reward, God's reward. So time together, life skills, direction, and fourthly, convictions through modeling. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11, and 12 says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom. Notice what the apostle says. Like a father with his children. And then he lists three things. Exhorting, encouraging, and charging or urging them to walk in a manner worthy of God. So if this is what the Apostle Paul says a father looks like, and this is what a father does, then this is what we ought to be doing. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2, in verses 6 and 7 say this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may teach them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. I mean, notice when we're supposed to be teaching these things when we're going somewhere, when we're laying down at night, when we're getting up in the morning. It means us fathers are there. It means we're involved. We're not only involved in their lives, we're involved in their training. This is what God has commanded for us. And in these verses, I'm reminded of what my father-in-law Joe has said over the years, teachable moments. These are teachable moments of wherever we're going or whatever we're doing, there's an opportunity to train and raise our children Robert Lewis also says there needs to, you need to instill in your son a code of conduct to live by that I, as a father, ought to be living by. And this is not so much caught, rather it's, oh no, this is not so much taught, rather it's caught. You will leave with your sons and daughters what you live out in your home. 
So time together, life skills, direction, convictions through modeling, and fifthly, dad's heart. There are three essentials, and he, Robert Lewis, that is, um, emphasizes this so much, and this is really important. First one is, loved by dad. It's a dad saying, I love you. Secondly, it's affirmed by dad. A dad saying, I'm proud of you. And thirdly, it's blessed by dad. A dad saying, you are good at fill in the blank. We often want to assume the strengths and notice the weaknesses. And we can see God do this for Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as well as his baptism. Mark 17 records it like this. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In essence, God's saying, I love you, son. I am well pleased, or I'm proud of you. And listen to him, because he is doing what is right. He is speaking what is right. Now, as I said, most of my message is kind of from the... Well, maybe I didn't say it. I was meaning to say it if I didn't, but... Uh, most of my message comes, come, comes more from a father-son aspect rather than uh, the father-daughter relationship. But the father-daughter relationship is really important. Dr. David Jeremiah says that apart from the husband-wife relationship, the father, father-daughter relationship is the most important relationship in the home. He says, what a daughter thinks about herself is in, is in great respect a mirror of what she perceives her father to think of her. So with what we say to her, how we treat her, she will come to a conclusion on who she thinks she is as a person. And though the quest for authentic manhood is geared for fathers and sons, he does offer one session on fathers and daughters, and he gives this advice. First, a father should establish with his wife a clear definition of what it means to be a lady, which is what he calls biblical womanhood. Firstly, and it's described as this, a real woman rejects worldly temptations for significance especially in the core callings, God, husband, and family. Secondly, a real woman believes in God's priorities. Thirdly, a real woman nurtures the next generation. And fourthly, a real woman expects the greater reward, God's reward. So establish with your daughters a a definition of what it means to be a lady. Whether you define it like that or not, you define those things for her, define those things for your sons or what a, a real man looks like. Secondly, help, a father should help his wife, if at all possible, to stay at home with the children in the critical formative years. Thirdly, a real man will support, honor, and cheer for true feminine values in his wife and daughters. And just to be clear, it's biblical feminine values, not society-based values. And fourthly, date your daughters and stay involved in their lives on a personal level. I remember a story that you, Joe, told me as, we were, as I was dating Natasha about a time in, I, it was Natasha's life as it was, I'm guessing it was probably around the time of puberty and just it, the difficult stage uh, and transition time that that was. And um, you were kind of struggling with it a little bit and it, it was Lisa, their mom, said, no, you, this is the time you need to plug in. This is the time that she needs you. And you were telling me this story. And, and the wisdom that Lisa had to know that what her daughter needed at that time was not to be fulfilled by her, 
but rather by her dad. Like her dad had to be the one to fulfill that need that she had. And he did, and I've benefited from that. So as I've read all that and shared all that, it'd be interesting to know, and we're not going to raise hands this morning, but it'd be interesting to know what you're thinking about as you think of your father. Some of you this morning might think, you know, my dad did all these things for me. He was a great dad. Others of you might wish for a good relationship with your dad. Some of you don't even know your dad. Maybe some of you hate your dad. But as I was studying for this message, uh, Mitch's name came to mind. I know he gets picked on quite a bit. (laughs) But he doesn't seem to mind. (laughs) If you don't know Mitch, his dad passed away when he was 15. And I'm pretty sure if you do know him, you would not consider him a wimp. And I say that for a very specific reason. And uh, because I I decided I was going to text him out of the blue about this and just ask about his dad. And he gave me permission to read this. So I'll, I'll start with my text with him. I said, hey man, I'm prepping for a message about fathers. Here's the question. What things or words would you wish you could hear from your father, knowing that you won't be able to, regarding you as his son? So here's his response. Well, I wish my dad told me he loved me. I don't remember very many times, if ever, he said that. Also, I wish my dad would have told me the good things he's seen in me to encourage me to be better. Instead, he would criticize my mistakes and remain silent when I did well. Lastly, if my dad were still alive, I'd want to know what he thought about who I am today and what I focus on. Is he proud of me for all the effort I dedicate to following the Lord? Or would he be disappointed that I left farming behind? I often wonder about this. I feel like he could give good insight for a girl also. And you know, we as a church could say those things to Mitch. And I know he has a father figure in Chris Rector's, which is great. But none of our words will carry the weight of those words coming from his biological dad. Do we understand as dads what blessing we are giving our children if we as fathers have a heart connection with our children. A father is worth far more than just bringing money home or providing for the family or taking a bullet to protect them or dad jokes, which are necessary. Proverbs 17, 6, the glory of children is their father. And I don't have time to do this next part justice, but I think the point needs to be made that if an earthly father has so much value in his children's lives regarding social, emotional, and spiritual issues, which he does, if you do the research on it, I was actually going to read some of that research, but uh, for the sake of time, I decided I was going to leave that out. But if he has that much value, how much more is the value of the Heavenly Father to us? One of my favorite verses is found in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And this is for those of us who are in Christ. God wants to be our Father. And in Christ, we are His children. 
We often view God as we view our earthly father, but we need to know that God is not like our earthly father. In fact, Jesus gives us an example of that in Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. Which of you, if your sons ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will you, will you give him a snake? If you, then you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to, you, to those who ask him? He's like, look, you are evil, you are wicked, and yet you even know how to give good gifts, though you're wicked. But compared to the Father, the Heavenly Father, there is no comparison. As an earthly father is to initiate the relationship between his children, between him and his children, so the Heavenly Father has done the same for us. In 1 John 4, 10 and 19, in this is love, that not, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because he first loved us. So through the Heavenly Father, we find that we are loved we find salvation, we find forgiveness, we find value, we find hope, we find purpose, we find victory over sin, we find contentment, we find peace, we find security, we find acceptance, and we find eternal life, and the list can go on. So in closing, fathers, don't think that you're replaceable or insignificant because you're not. <laughs> it's never too late to start. One thing I've noticed over and over again as I listen to experts on this Subject is, it's never too late. And from an aspect from a son, I feel like there's always this desire for children to have that connection with their dad. Even if your children are out of the house, married, they still long for a relationship with their dad. Proverbs 17, 6. The glory of children is their father's. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for being the good father for us, Lord. You've blessed us in so many ways. Uh, we don't deserve you desiring to have a relationship with us, but that's what you want. Lord, thank you for fathers. Thank you for the value that you've instilled upon them, and I pray for the fathers that are here. Whether they're doing a great job, I pray that you encourage them to keep doing those things. And whether they need to improve, which I know I need to, I pray that you would help us to apply these things, to know how to grow in, in being a father. Thank you, Lord, for caring about us, for loving us. And as we go from here and we go throughout our week, Lord, uh, help us to grow in our relationship with you, Lord, as a church, as individuals. Just pray these things in your name. Amen.